Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Who is Rick Wright? The media were all focused on Rick Bright all day today because he self-identified as a whistleblower. Do you know what a whistleblower is today, Mr. Producer? Any bureaucrat who hates Trump is a whistleblower. Now, that's not technically the case, but apparently it is to the Democrats in the House of Representatives. You never heard of any whistleblowers when Obama was president. Certainly, they didn't get the attention of the Democrat Party. Rick Bright has a Ph.D. He was appointed by Obama to HHS. He headed a very tiny office within HHS. And apparently he was very difficult to deal with. And uh, he's telling everybody what should happen, what's going to happen, where it's going to happen. And as I watched some of this testimony, I had to shut it off. The guy's an arrogant prick. Can I use the word? Uh, brick. I meant brick, Mr. Producer. He's an arrogant brick. And uh, he, like a pinprick, right? That's a, everybody understands what I'm talking about. So here's the Fox News write-up, Morgan Phillips. Ousted Health and Human Services official Rick Bright testified before Congress after filing a whistleblower complaint that he was removed from his position after refusing to go along with messages from the Trump administration touting hydroxychloroquine, a malaria drug that had not been proven effective against COVID-19, they write. Now you have to wait till all the way near the end of the story. The department has said Bright was a major proponent of hydroxychloroquine. The, the unproven coronavirus drug he claimed to be ousted for opposing against. This is the way it's written up, and I'm just reading it. Under Rick Bright's leadership, B-A-R-D-A, that's the unit that he ran, identified chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine as potential COVID-19 treatments. In fact, Rick Bright was the sponsor of getting hydroxychloroquine and praised his team for acquiring the drugs, HHS said. So why are the House Democrats holding this hearing? Do you think they want to really understand what's taking place? Have they held a hearing on what China's genocidal maniac dictator Xi has done? No, not one yet. Then any real scientists up there? I mean, really solid scientists. We've had many of them on this program and on TV. No, not one. Then they brought in a few CEOs. One of them in particular was, was a real POS, a POS. Mark, what's a POS? A POS. 
And a pinprick. May I say that too, Mr. Producer? He was all these things. Oh, yeah. So you have to shut it off. Because the Democrats in the House aren't serious about anything but destroying the president and taking power. The greatest threat that we face in this country is not the Wuhan China virus. It's not even the Russians. It's the Democrats and the Democrat Party. Today, the Democrats in and out of the media don't find a problem with all this unmasking. Don't find a problem with unmasking Flynn with the involvement of the chief of staff to the president of the United States. Of course, the president knew nothing. Uh, or the involvement of others, like the vice president of the United States, or the ambassador to Turkey. 39. 39 different people. That's okay. I mean, after all, they're looking for spies, right, folks? The Democrat Party's done enormous damage to this country, as are the Democrat Party governors, for the most part. For the most part. California, Newsom, disaster. Pritzker, Illinois, disaster. Not job in Michigan, disaster. Disaster in New Jersey. But at the top of the heap is Cuomo. Cuomo's decisions cost more lives, more lives, than would have been lost otherwise. His decision... As we broke here and pushed here and have been talking about here, and now others are, and they should be, to put corona-positive patients in nursing homes and assisted living homes cost the lives of many, many senior citizens. Thousands of senior citizens died and are dying in New York. Cuomo's numbers in terms of the people who had to be hospitalized and treated and died, no other state comes even close to what's taking place in New York. And they'll tell you it's because it's dense. We have a lot of dense cities. Well, not as big as New York, but we're talking about per capita even, statistically. His decision on nursing homes, his decision on the subway system, his decision on the busing system, these were all big-time disasters. And the Democrats don't want to hold a hearing on that. Well over a third of the deaths we've had in this country, or about a third, occurred in New York, where Cuomo was governor and de Blasio was mayor. Instead, we get a full day of this guy, Rick Bright, who's not bright. He is, as the president says, a term I've used to describe him, a disgruntled former employee. He makes almost $300,000 a year, He was given a new job, and he hasn't shown up for work. It's like this uh, Yahoo, who was the ambassador to to Ukraine. Remember her? Oh, she was the best ever. She was great. And then we find out in her private testimony, she knew a hell of a lot more about Hunter Biden and Burisma than she let on during her public testimony. Now, the consequences for her misleading testimony will be non-existent. Yovanovitch. Non-existent. So this Obama appointee, Rick Bright, Dr. Rick Bright, he has a PhD in immunology. He joined BARDA in 2010. He's appointed by Obama. 
says from 2011 to 2015, he was both deputy director and acting director at BARDA's Influenza and Emerging Diseases Division. In 2016, he was appointed by President Obama to direct the agency. He says he was fired because, among other things, he would not permit the widespread use of hydroxychloroquine. And yet the facts, according to HHS, are exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. Now, I'm not going to sit here and play this guy's testimony. Who gives a flying flip what one bureaucrat has to say about anything? We've been witnessing what's going on, you and I. We don't need this guy to tell us what's been going on. But this is the, the Democrat Party. They want to spend another $3 trillion. They want to keep our economy closed. They have no problem with unmasking people as long as you don't unmask liberal Democrats. They have no problem with a, a rogue judge in the case of Emmett Sullivan as long as that rogue judge is doing their bidding. The greatest danger we face in this, in this country, the greatest danger, is the Democrat Party. They're about to nominate a man who really is mentally incapable of being president. He was always incapable of it, but now he's mentally incapable. It doesn't matter. Alex Azar, the secretary of HHS, listened to some of this crap by Rick Not-So-Bright. And here's what he had to say. There's a helicopter in the background as he was traveling with the president. Cut seven, go. So, you know, Dr. Bright is up there testifying today. Everything he's complaining about was achieved. Everything he talked about was done. He talked about, he says he talked about the need for respirators. We worked, we procured respirators under the president's direction. He said we need a Manhattan Project for vaccines. This president initiates a vaccine Manhattan Project, diagnostic Manhattan Project, therapeutic Manhattan Project. Oh, and by the way, whose job was it to actually lead the development of vaccines? Dr. Bright. So while we're launching Operation Warp Speed, he's not showing up for work to be part of that. So this is like somebody who was in a choir and is now trying to say he was a soloist back then. What he was saying is what every single member of this administration and the president was saying. We need more personal protective equipment. We need more ventilators. We need therapeutics. We need vaccines. Every single thing this president was on, this president achieved, and Dr. Bright was part of a team and was simply saying what everybody else at the White House and at HHS was saying. Not one bit of difference. And on hydroxychloroquine, Dr. Bright literally signed the application for FDA authorization of it. Literally, he's the sponsor of it. So it, this just his allegations do not hold water. Isn't that shocking that this guy, Bright, because he self-identifies as a whistleblower, because he doesn't like the new job was given to him, $285,000 and, and, uh, and change. He wanted to continue in his old job. They move him to another job that's involved in finding a vaccine. Then he claims, you know, there should be some kind of punishment for a false claim like this. People should lose their jobs. They should lose their pensions. 
And if you're going to make a, a claim like this, and I don't know, I've never made one, if it, it ought to be under oath, so you can be held and, under penalty of perjury. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. They just, I'm a whistleblower. The first whistleblower, the CIA operative who worked for Obama and was close to Biden and initiated this unconstitutional impeachment against the President of the United States. We know who it is. We've talked about who it is. But the press still acts like they don't know who it is and they're never going to comment about this person. You're not allowed to look into their background. Why? You're not allowed to look into Bright's background. Why? You're not allowed to to seriously question Biden about a serious allegation of rape. Why? You better not criticize Obama. You'll be called a racist. Why? And this is how they do it. Say whatever you want about Trump. His family, his friends, his staff. Say anything you want about Trump supporters. Anything. Neo-Nazis, Klansmen, white supremacists. Say anything you want about Trump. Hitler, stop. Just don't criticize them. Ever. Ever. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I flew on an airplane on Friday, and I flew back to Virginia on Wednesday. There were not a lot of people on the plane, but enough, about 20 of us. About 18 going, about 22, 24 coming back. I wore my mask. I had my wet one. In fact, the flight attendants, they would give out the wet one. You can wipe down the arms and whatever you want. They've already been cleaned. It's the cleanest place on earth, these airplanes. When's the last time you heard of somebody getting the coronavirus on an, air, on a, on an airliner? Have you, Mr. Producer? You've got flight attendants... Pilots, co-pilots, agents, working the gate, people working the ticket counter. You don't hear a lot of breakout of the coronavirus at airports, on these jetliners. I would take another flight in a minute. You know, take the precautions you need. You know what else I did, Mr. Producer? Legally, I got a haircut. Got a haircut, got my beard trimmed, wore the mask, except, of course, when it was time for the beard. No problem whatsoever. You know what else I did, Mr. Producer? I had, it had to be three, maybe it was four meals at my favorite restaurant in Florida, Flash Beach. These are dear friends of mine, Rob and Anita. They can't open up the restaurant building for people to come in. There's just not enough room. For, you know, the six-foot rule and all the rest of it. So you know what they did? They did what I suggested on the air here. But they're the ones who pulled it off. You know, talk is cheap. They used their parking lot. And they had a, uh, I don't know what you call one of those trucks where you have a kitchen and you can cook. It's beautiful, by the way. But a food truck. They had it for like 15 years. And they hadn't been using it. And so they used it on the parking lot. And they had their tables, they had to be at least 10 feet away from each other. And they were packed. I don't mean illegally, but people desperate to eat there. People are desperate to get up. People want their freedom. Whether it's communism or New York 
or Illinois or Michigan or any of these other quasi-fascistic states. Now, I'm in that area. I'm 62. I have heart disease. I've had a heart attack. I have stents. I've had angioplasties. I have asthma. Okay. I know the risk. Just protect yourself. More when I return. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I know this is going to disappoint the left, particularly in the media. This is not the worst pandemic America has ever faced. It's not the greatest death toll America has ever faced. That doesn't make it good by any means. But a little context is useful. It is, however, one of the greatest attacks on our constitutional republic in American history. It truly is. And it's one of the greatest attacks on our economic system and our economic viability in American history. You have a Democrat party that has gone full totalitarian. And you've got a Democrat party that has gone full, full socialism. They don't have the power to do it all, but just listen to them. And you have a media, a Praetorian Guard media, that not only protects them, but promotes the cause. And so when you have the, the evidence of fascistic behavior by the Obama administration in unmasking and spying and obstructing and lying, it's the new normal. What's the big deal? As long as it's all aimed at Trump and the Trump administration. I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics 
are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I mentioned very briefly, very briefly yesterday, um, a notion that a caller came up with, but was not on hold long enough to pursue it. And that's something called a writ of prohibition. It's very, very rarely used. What's a writ of prohibition? That's when an appellate court orders a lower court not to act. That is, it prohibits the lower court from acting because it lacks jurisdiction. And then when you look over at Joel Pollack's piece at Breitbart, you see a Supreme Court decision that was issued last week. Nine to zero. And the author of the opinion for the majority was Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And she said in part, in our adversarial system of adjudication, we follow the principle of party presentation. Our system is designed around the premise that parties represented by competent counsel know what is best for them and are responsible for advancing the facts and argument entitling them to relief. In short, courts are essentially passive instruments of government. They do not or should not sally forth each day looking for wrongs to right. They wait for cases to come to them, and when cases arise, courts normally decide only questions presented by the parties. Now think about this in the context of what this so-called judge, Emmett Sullivan, is doing to Michael Flynn. And Pollock points out, while such amicus briefs, that is, the opening up of the court to opinions, to opinions. And in the case of Sullivan, it gets even worse. He's asked a former federal judge, also appointed by Clinton, as Sullivan was, after reading an a outrageous op-ed of his and others in the Washington Compost, to write a, a brief, an amicus brief, a friend of the court brief, telling him why he should not reject the Department of Justice's position and maybe even hold Flynn in contempt, criminal contempt. I've never seen anything like this. So, uh, while such amicus briefs could be used in extraordinary circumstances, Pollock points out, the court's list of examples did not include cases in which prosecutors simply dropped the case. Now, this Judge Sullivan's been criticized for inviting the intervention of amicus briefs. Harvard Law Professor... Emeritus, Alan Dershowitz argued the judges are umpires, not ringmasters. If the litigants come to an agreement, there's no controversy. The case is over. Judge Sullivan should get back to the business of deciding actual controversies and get out of the business of producing political shows. But what if he won't? What if he... What if he said Trump... Hater, never Trumper, and an Obama lover. Because I think those two facts are, are, have revealed themselves. Well, there's something called this writ of prohibition. 
people have talked about a writ of mandamus. I'm not sure that's possible. Writ of mandamus forces a public official to do their job. I don't really think, I think that's a higher bar, quite frankly. A writ of prohibition. We have a Supreme Court case. We also have a D.C. Circuit Court case. That also would prohibit the kind of activity suggested here by Judge Sullivan. Now, they have a lot of really smart constitutional lawyers over there at the Department of Justice, particularly in Office of Legal Counsel, as well as brilliant lawyers at the higher ranks of the appellate divisions and the criminal division. And I'm sure the Attorney General is consulting with these various offices. If not, he certainly should. But they should take into consideration this writ of prohibition. Again, it's rarely used, but I think what Sullivan's done is doing is rarely done. You've got the Supreme Court decision. Of course, they'll argue, well, it's not exactly on point. It's on point enough. And same with the D.C. Circuit Court. You're never going to have an exact parallel. So again, a writ of prohibition allows an appellate court. You file a motion, a writ of prohibition with the appellate court to prohibit the lower court from acting because it lacks jurisdiction. And in this case, it's more than lacks jurisdiction. It's defying a unanimous decision written by Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the United States Supreme Court. It's also defying the very court, the appellate court, in which the writ is being sought. And here we're talking about the improper use of amicus briefs. I'm throwing this out there because I know a lot of people from the Department of Justice listen to this program. And I think it's very, very important. Very, very important. You know, while I speak, let let me tell you, when I'm sitting here trying to figure out what should I lead with on the program, I may change on a dime when the program begins. And and, uh, there's been a little bit of a struggle in the last few days. I'll tell you why. See, I tell you everything. I see the economic hardship that's going on. And in my gut, I know that people who are fighting for their livelihood really don't want to hear about politics. Yet I also know in my heart and my soul that the Democrats and the media are counting on that. And so they're going to go as far as they can to turn our system inside out. And so I can't just surrender or abandon, I should say, uh, an analysis or warnings to you all about what's taking place in the country. And so I, I try and focus every show now on the economy, on the virus, and on our liberty. And the more I thought about this, I said, well, they're all connected. Aren't they? They're all connected. When you look at at how this virus has been handled by incompetent left-wing Democrats, it has caused a lot of mayhem and death. And it is amazing that they point to Trump in this regard. When, to my eyes, he's done an absolutely fantastic job in organizing the response to this virus in providing incompetent governors, many of them left-wing, with support. With support. He's even gone a, a, a significant distance, and I don't even agree with it, in spending trillions of dollars 
to try and fill the economic gaps temporarily. But you can see it's never enough for the Democrats. So Nancy Pelosi writes a $3 trillion bill while she's sitting on the toilet and uh, then calls back her members to vote on it on Friday. But we cannot allow the virus and even the economy to be used by the Democrats to take our liberty. Those of you who do not live in New York, who do not live in New Jersey, who do not live in Illinois or Michigan, who do not live in California and states of that sort, you've had a little taste of what they're going through. But you really don't know the full extent of what they're going through. Particularly in Michigan and particularly in New York City. The extent to which these governors and these mayors are practicing a soft martial law is really appalling. And I don't know where they get this authority from. Mark, you're a constitutional lawyer. I, I don't know where they get it from. You can't just call something an emergency and then say, you know, it reminds me, it reminds me of an old video of Hugo Chavez walking down the main street I don't know if it was Caracas or some other town, but it was a significant city. And he's walking down the street. And he's got a press gaggle behind him, and they love him. Just like our press gaggle. They love him. And he's walking down the street, and he's pointing at businesses and buildings. He says to the gaggle of me, you see that building over there? Yes. I now own it. See that business over there? Yes. I now own it. See that over there? I own it. And by I, of course, he meant the state, because that's what they really mean. It's one and the same. So there he's walking down the street, nationalizing private office buildings, private businesses, as he's walking down the street. The governor of Virginia will not allow gun ranges to open. Whether you're six feet apart or not, whether you're wearing a mask or not, he will not allow gun ranges to open. Why? Because he doesn't want them open. It's absolutely arbitrary. Why is Costco open and Walmart open and these other warehouse stores open, but a little store and a strip mall that can manage things, they can't open. It defies logic, but they have this power now. They have this power now. And many of them are drunk with it. They're used to it. And they like it. And they don't want to give it up so fast. And then they say, let's follow the science. Ladies and gentlemen, which science? How many times have I come behind this microphone and told you of experts from the top schools, the top institutions, who strongly disagree with Anthony Fauci? I've done it repeatedly. I've done it on my Fox show. I've done it on Levin TV. I've done it on the radio. So what science are they talking about? And we pointed out long ago, Fauci early on said this would be like the flu. Fauci early on said don't bother with a mask. Now Fauci, always wear a mask, don't shake hands. This could happen over and over again. So which scientists are we to believe? Well, look at the data. And when you finally get through the data, not the phony models, and you look at it, we know who's at risk. So why are they shutting down the entire economy? 
in these various states. And then, to make matters worse, then they want bailouts. The worst managed states with the most authoritarian governors who insist that they shall rule under federalism then say all of us should bail them out. This is the position of the Democrat Party and the media. They don't want the economy opened. They want these states bailed out. And then they tell you that the President of the United States who wants the economy open is being as careful as he can that it's all his fault. I'll be right back. Lovin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I will be on Hannity tonight. I'm told 9.25 on the dot, 9.25 p.m. Eastern Time, 6.25 p.m. Pacific. I hope you'll join us here. If you can't join us live, I hope you'll DVR it. You can see my new haircut. What do you do when the media let the country down? When so many judges let the country down? When federal departments involved in protecting the nation... The highest levels of the FBI and the intelligence agencies let you down. You're a country in deep trouble. Can you imagine if these people win the November election? Can you imagine? They're all going to be right back. There'll be no uncovering of anything. The FBI will not be reformed. In fact, it'll be encouraged to go on. Same with the intelligence agencies. Are you going to be comfortable with widespread espionage? Are you going to be comfortable with one party spying on another? Are you going to be comfortable with an FBI lying to a federal court? Putting spies in a presidential campaign? Trying to set up the President of the United States? As well as his people, like Mike Flynn, among others? Are you going to be happy With Chuck Schumer controlling the Senate, Nancy Pelosi controlling the House, and Biden's uh, people, surrogates, controlling the executive branch, you'll never recognize this country again. Our principles will be gone. 
They will load the courts with political activists like Emmett Sullivan, like Amy Berman, and it's a long list. And they have a lot of law schools and professors and slip-and-fall lawyers to choose from to fill the, the judiciary. You know, what's, what's scary now, when people say election have consequences, every election now determines the fate of the nation. You know, it used to be that there was at least general agreement on principles, broad principles, but really that's not the case anymore. If you're a quote-unquote democratic socialist, that is a Marxist, then we have nothing in common. If you're an authoritarian who believes in the iron fist of the central government and you've seen Pelosi and Schumer and many in the media and the Democrats push this, you're not a constitutionalist. If you believe in open borders, you don't believe in America, the country as a nation state with its, with its unique principles and so forth. That's what this next election is about. The reason they hate Trump is because Trump stands between them and us, as I've told you many times. And to remove him is to advance their radical left agenda. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. The Democrats in the media and the Democrats, that is... The Democrat Party press, as I call them, an unfreedom of the press, and the Democrats are spinning all over television. One of the things they're saying is, this is a serious matter. You know, there needed to be unmasking. There needed to be the revelation of information. Of course, there didn't need to be the leaking of General Flynn's name. And there's nothing of substance in his discussions with the Russian ambassador at the time that violated anything. But we need to be able to do these things. It's very serious, they say. Okay, I want to read you the names and titles of the individuals who either sought unmasking or received information about General Flynn from the unmasking. You ready? The U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Samantha Power, seven occasions. She made seven requests. She didn't remember a single one of them. When testifying in Congress. The Director of National Intelligence. James Clapper. Three times. And yet. He's a commentator on TV. About his own dirty work. But it's no big deal Mark. So why didn't he confess? Why didn't he say on the air. Oh I did that three times. What's the big deal? The Deputy Chief of Mission. Whatever that is. Kelly Degnan. Once. The U.S. ambassador to Italy and the Republic of San Marino, John R. Phillips, once. Yes, I know. What does he need the information for? Director of the CIA, John O'Brennan, who's been all over TV as a slimeball. 
OIA director, I confess, I don't know what that is, Patrick Conlon once, Secretary of the Treasury, Jacob Liu, twice. Acting Assistant Secretary Treasurer, Arthur Daney McGlynn, once. Acting Deputy Assistant Secretary Treasurer, Mike Neufeld, once. Deputy Director of the Treasury, Sarah Raskin, once. Uh, she's the wife of this Congressman Raskin from Maryland, who is a complete slime ball. Runs in the family, apparently. Under Secretary of Treasury, Nathan Sheets of Treasury was very interested. Acting Under Secretary of Treasury, Adam Susbin, U.S. NATO Defense Advisor, Mr. Robert Bell, U.S. Representative to the NATO Military Committee, Vadim Christensen, Director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, James Comey, Chief of the Syria Group, whatever the hell that is, Deputy Assistant Director of NEMC, I confess I don't know what that is, U.S. NATO Office of the Defense Advisor, Policy Advisor for Russia, Lieutenant Colonel Paul Gehring, rings a bell, Gehring, U.S. NATO Advisor to Ambassador Douglas Lute, U.S. NATO Deputy Defad, Mr. James Hirsch, again the chief of the Syria group. These are people who either had the unmasking done or had access to the information from the unmasking. It's unbelievable. It's like, uh, who's the guy uh, running the cashier at the 7-Eleven down the street? Oh, well, he's doing unmasking too. U.S. Deputy Chief of U.S. Mission to NATO, Mr. Litzenberger. U.S. Permanent Representative to NATO, Ambassador Douglas Lute. U.S. NATO Political Officer, Mr. Scott Parrish. Deputy Secretary of Energy, Elizabeth Sherwood Randall. Well, she had every reason to know. Department of Energy Executive Briefer, name blacked out. U.S. NATO Political Advisor, Mr. Tarmir Wasser. Several others are blacked out here. U.S. Ambassador to Russia, John Leffitt. The Ambassador to Turkey, Ambassador Bass. Pretty amazing. Chief of Staff to the President of the United States. On January 5, 2017, Dennis McDonough. That's the same date the President had his meeting. And then the Chief of Staff to the President of the United States seeks the unmasking of General Flynn. But the president didn't know anything. No, no, no. Dumb guy. Deputy Director of National Intelligence for Intelligence Integration, Michael Dempsey. Principal Deputy Director of National Intelligence, Stephanie L. O'Sullivan. Vice President of the United States, Joseph R. Biden. January 12, 2017. Why in the world would the Vice President seek the unmasking of General Flynn's name eight days before he's leaving office. Eight days. And now he's in the basement cage like a veal. Although yesterday I noticed his handlers, all wearing white jackets, I'm sure, uh, I noticed that they brought him outside on the deck so you could see that he's really quite the, uh, quite the leader, Biden. He moves from bedroom to bedroom, basement to first floor, and there he's out on the deck, really taking a risk there in the sunny 
outdoors of his backyard. Really appalling. My executive producer for Levin TV, who also assists with me on Fox, David Paderouche, is really terrific. He was doing a little hunting yesterday. I don't mean hunting animals, hunting, researching. And he found in the Washington Post an article dated March 6, 2016. This would be four days after the historic radio show, beginning to pull all these pieces together, and one day after the Fox and Friends Sunday show, when I was on with Pete Hakeseth, among others, and was the first to break this entire chain of events by putting together all these published public reports. Radio, March 2nd. TV, March 5th. And the title of the Washington Post story is Mark Levin is warned before of Obama's silent coup. Now he is a follower in the Oval Office. And when you get through all the BS they write about Watergate, they write this. Again, this is March 6, 2017. On Thursday, that would be the radio show, Levin returned to the silent coup theme during his evening radio show, arguing that the Obama administration had orchestrated a silent coup against President Trump. The Obama Justice Department, he claimed, had wiretapped and spied on the Trump campaign when it investigated Russian interference in the election and had leaked information to the media to undermine a new president. I got this out of published reports. I'm not claiming anything. The word wiretap was in the headline of a New York Times piece. But it's all accurate, isn't it? Espionage, whether it's wiretap or not, that's not the critical point, is it? It was all true. And the media are involved, and now we have federal judges involved, like Emmett Sullivan. You can't give up hope. You've got to fight back. Look how far we've come since three years ago. With the Attorney General of the United States, the U.S. Attorney from Connecticut, the U.S. Attorney from the Eastern District of Missouri, the acting U.S. Attorney in Washington, D.C. These are serious people. These are good people. And then we have these senior officials. All this stuff on Russia collusion, the unmasking, the espionage, the FISA court. And then we get the release of documents the other day, thanks to another wonderful public official, Rick Rennell, the acting director of national intelligence, the ambassador to Germany, released by the Senate. And what does it show us? Every single senior Obama administration official, every single one, who was questioned under oath in the basement of the House of Representatives as part of the, the impeachment coup effort, the unconstitutional effort, said they had no direct evidence. They had no evidence. Not one shred. Not one shred of evidence of collusion between the President of the United States and Russia. And yet look at all these stories and all the rest that have been reported. In all the hearings and the criminal investigation by a special counsel. Not one. Here is a... uh, Montage by Newsbusters, one of the great sites, how CNN spent nearly two years lapping up Adam Schiff's collusion lies. And Adam Schiff knew early on there was no collusion. He had all these transcripts. He was there for all the testimony. None whatsoever. 
and the Mueller report, despite all the fog and static by the left, not one shred of evidence of collusion with Russia in the first half of the report. There was nothing. Zero. Cut 11, go. What a great case officer uh, Vladimir Putin is. He knows how to handle uh, an asset, and that's what he's doing with the president. The Russians offered help. The campaign accepted help. The Russians gave help, and the president made full use of that help. And that is pretty damning. The top Democrat on the Intelligence Committee is warning today that there is already evidence that the Trump campaign colluded. Adam Schiff, the top Democrat, saying there is significant evidence of collusion. Adam Schiff saying there is, quote, significant evidence of collusion. According to Congressman Adam Schiff, who attended the hearing today, President Trump and Trump Jr. had a conversation. This is something that Adam Schiff, the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee, brought up today. We heard from Adam Schiff. According to Schiff, well, here's uh, Adam Schiff. As soon as Adam Schiff and company walk out of that closed-door hearing, let us know. The former DNI director, James Clapper, and John Brennan, they all talked about seeing communications, meetings that was concerning them. And this now backs up some of what they've been saying all along. James Clapper, uh, who knows uh, more about all of this than, than, than almost anyone out there. General Clapper and Director Brennan on the show just a few minutes ago uh, saying that they think that President Trump is being played by Putin. Reasonable to ask if he could be working on behalf of Russian interests and not the U.S.'s? Well, it's a reasonable question. Former acting FBI director Andrew McCabe listened to what he said when asked whether he thinks President Trump could be a Russian asset. It's possible. I think that's why we started our investigation. Andrew McCabe, I asked him that question. He said, I think it's possible. It's possible? That is a remarkable statement for a top intelligence official to make. The FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, I mean, they've all said this. So to believe that that's wrong, you have to believe they're all involved in an elaborate conspiracy to get Donald Trump, which seems a little far-fetched to me. Hmm. Not one of those individuals has been fired. Not one of those individuals has apologized. In fact, they're on to the next pseudo-event. As the president says, fake news, trying to attack this president. There's no apology. There's no let's return Pulitzers and other awards we got. As a group, these people are cold-blooded liars. And what about all this unmasking? What about all this unmasking? Is it a big deal? Not at all. Here's Clapper on CNN today. Cut 12, go. Broadly speaking, how many unmasking requests did you make, say, in a given week? Well, uh, great question, and it varied, and and I I don't recall it. It's really not a great question. The reason they ask the question is because there's thousands a year. And so what this, this moron, Berman, at CNN is trying to do is run cover for Clapper. Nobody's talking about how many unmaskings there are. We're talking about these unmaskings. These unmaskings, with no predicate whatsoever. Go ahead. But over the six plus, six and a half, almost uh, years I served as DNI, I would say perhaps uh, once uh, a week, once or twice a week, perhaps. But it would vary. So not every day, but but fairly fairly frequently. It's a routine thing. It's appropriate and legitimate. Uh, when you have a valid foreign intelligence target engaging with a U.S. person, is it, for example, an insider, someone in the government engaging with that foreign adversary? So it's important from the standpoint of potential jeopardy to national security that you know you understand what's going on. So you would make those requests once or twice a week. And to be clear, the number of unmasking requests actually went up 
in the years of the Trump administration from the Obama See administration. See what I mean? This is a reporter. They went up. But were they unmasking Obama officials in the past? Were they leaking their names? How about Biden officials? Anything? It, it's, it, uh, the statistic is intended as a smokescreen. This is why this network, CNN, and this fool, Berman, really are enemies of the people, as the president put. This is an enemy of the people, Berman. This is propaganda. This is an information that's useful to the American people to understand exactly what took place here. Here he is, Clapper. I would, I, I would kill to have Clapper on this show. I can't get Clapper. Here he is, Clapper. Does he grill him? Does he ask him questions that a normal reporter should? No. It's how many did you do a week? And then the number of unmasking. People aren't attacking the fact of unmaskings. They're attacking the fact of these unmaskings. Meanwhile, what did you find, Clapper? Cut 13, go. Now, you have said this under oath. You've said it on TV before, but I'll have you say it again. When you were director of national intelligence, did you see any direct evidence of collusion between General Flynn or any Trump campaign official with the Russians? Uh, No, I did not. Uh, uh, Of course, collusion is not a a formally defined term, certainly in, in a legal sense. But if you if you read the intelligence community assessment, particularly the highly classified version, and as well as the unclassified version, you won't find the. This is a bureaucratic way of saying no, and we know the answer is no because nobody's been charged with conspiring or any other form of uh, illegal activity with the Russians. Go ahead. In that report, does the absence of evidence of collusion indicate to you that no requests for unmasking should have happened? If you would see no evidence of collusion there, why ask for names like this in the intelligence reports? Well, there could have been, as I say, uh, other reasons why you would unmask. Um, Again, when you read the ball read of the report. All right, that's enough. He knew of no collusion. He was involved in unmaskings. The reporter's trying to give him cover for the number of unmaskings generally in an administration by him, by the Trump administration, that has nothing to do with anything. And more on James Clapper, he said something else that was actually, well, I'll, I'll, I'll play it for you when we return. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks, that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Tell me, James Clapper, did you ever leak the 
the press about any of these individuals who were unmasked, and particularly Lieutenant General Flynn? Cut 14, go. That's right. This list uh, of names asking for unmasking from the NSA, that's a separate program than that phone conversation, which was part of an FBI program. Okay, so asking for names, nothing wrong with that. Unmasking in and of itself, nothing wrong with that. Leaking classified information, and by definition, these phone calls were classified. That's a problem, correct? Uh, Absolutely, it is. Um, And if anyone did leak the contents of these conversations with or without the name, that would be a problem, yes? Uh, We've lost the shot. I wonder if we can at least get him on the phone. They lost the connection. Mr. Producer, would you ask... Mr. Clapper, if he'd come on the program, which of course he won't, but ask him anyway. I would like to ask him that question without a break. Not only if he ever leaked here, but if he's ever leaked, period. I'd like to ask Comey, but we already know he's a leaker. Such a leaker that the guy went to work with the pencil. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. There's a piece uh, at National View by David Harsani, a very good writer. And he reminds us about some of the deeds of the Obama administration. He says, so, you know, what they've done with and to Trump really is not extraordinary for this administration. He said, by 2016, the Obama administration's intelligence community had normalized domestic spying. Obama's director of national intel... James Clapper famously lied about snooping on American citizens to Congress. His CIA director, John Brennan, oversaw an agency that felt comfortable spying on the Senate, with at least five of his underlings breaking into congressional computer files. His attorney general, Eric Holder, invoked the Espionage Act to spy on a Fox News journalist, James Rosen, shopping his case to three judges until he found one who let him name the reporter as a co-conspirator, and I might add, He also targeted James Risen, a reporter for the New York Times. The Obama administration also spied on Associate Press reporters, which the news organization called a massive, unprecedented intrusion. Though it's been long forgotten, Obama officials were caught monitoring the conversations of members of Congress who opposed the Iran nuclear deal. It is the most lawless administration, certainly in modern American history. Certainly in modern American history. You can't name one senior Obama official who has said under oath that there's a shred of evidence of collusion with Russia and the president. Not one. The Mueller report. No evidence whatsoever. This is all a big scam to try and take out candidate Trump and then President Trump. Unmasking, spies, illegal warrants, 
phony oppo research. The Obama administration working with their favorite reporters. And now this judge. And now this judge. 39 individuals unmasking. 39, including the ambassador to Turkey. This is shocking. You have to wonder how this president's kept it all together. You really do. It's really been quite incredible, I think. Really been quite remarkable. Very few could. Very few could do what this president has done. <clears throat> well, they get the connection back, so I, I misread this, so I want to bring it back. They get the connection back with Clapper, and he gets to finish whether or not he's a leaker or not. Cut 15, go. We have General Clapper back. General Clapper, the idea of the leak, which is something that's also being focused on here, that would be illegal, correct? Uh, if you, you know, if, if it involves classified information, absolutely. Uh, let me stop. It's not if it involves classified information. The law prevents you from leaking even the name of the individual. The leaking of classified information, <clears throat> excuse me, is a violation of the Espionage Act. So General Clapper, the former director of National Intel, doesn't even know what he's talking about. You're not to leak the name of American citizen who's innocently picked up, innocently picked up when you're tapping or however you're uh, surveilling, say an ambassador or whatever. Go ahead. But Ignatius put out this famous column on January 12th where he mentioned the phone call between Michael Flynn, the the December 29th phone call. Did you leak that information? I did not. That's good that he asked. He needs to be asked that under oath because we know in the past that Clapper has lied. He's even lied under oath. Didn't he commit perjury in front of the House or the Senate? Yes, he did. But his name's not Roger Stone, you know, and he works for... uh, He works for Obama, or worked for Obama. So that's not an issue. The President of the United States is quite right about so much of what's been taking place. Here's his take on Fox Business today. Cut 18, go. They weren't after General Flynn. They wanted him to lie about me, make up a story. And with few exceptions, nobody did that. There were many people... I watched KT McFarlane the other day. I watched where she was knock, knock, FBI. You know, the FBI, okay? This was all Obama. This was all Biden. These people were corrupt. The whole thing was corrupt. And we caught them. We caught them. And what you saw just now, I watched Biden yesterday. He could barely speak. He was on Good Morning America, right? And he said he didn't know anything about it. And now... It just gets released right after he said that. It gets released that he was one of the unmaskers, meaning he knew everything about it. So he lied to your friend George Stephanopoulos. This is absolutely incredible to me. And all the breaking of all this news did not come from your traditional newsrooms, did it? Or your news platforms. It came in spite of them. In spite of them. It's hard to even believe this from time to time. Incredible. All right, we've got a lot of issues on the table, but we have to. Our liberty, with these shutdowns, 
Some governors are fighting it and trying to open. Other governors are tightening their hands around our throats. The virus itself, and of course, the republic. And so we'll take some of your calls now. Kerry, Sacramento, California. The great KSAC. Go. Oh, hi. This is Kerry. Yes, you are. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I got in. Hi. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to um, state that all the governors declared um, a state of emergency, which gave them all this power. Um, and also the counties to do all these dictatorial. Well, let me, let me just say all the governors did not and all the counties did not. Many of them did. But anyway, go ahead. OK, well, well, California did. Yeah. And, you know, there is no emergency. The cases are down. The deaths are down. The hospitals are begging for patients. I mean, how how much longer can they have a state of emergency when there is none? Because until they we stop. They're going to continue with these edicts and these rules and these limitations forever. So I, I didn't know if you had... Well, at least well beyond what's necessary. And now they're ignoring the science. They're ignoring the data. Now that we know who's vulnerable and who's not. Uh, and the idea that you're going to continue to compel the vast majority of your citizens in any state uh, to limit their, their liberty... Uh, while we know who needs to be protected, the elderly, the frail, people with uh, comorbidities and so forth, is really outrageous. When they say follow the science, they don't mean follow the science. But as I explained the other day, and I want to thank you for your call, follow the science. The science told us that if you have a civil war, hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. And the science was right. Over 700,000 people died in the Civil War in a nation of 31 million people. That would be the equivalent of over 7 million people today. So follow the science. Not if you believe in abolishing slavery. Not if you believe that the United States should remain the United States. You don't follow the science there. Follow the science, they tell us. This science today would take us back to China, back to Wuhan, back to a lab. But the media doesn't want to talk about China. You can't even mention China's name. You're a racist. So they don't want to follow the science. Follow the science, they say. Have you seen a single Sunday show in the last two months, the last ten weeks, since this virus has become known, where they actually have a variety of scientists and medical experts who actually disagree with each other? They're in the newspapers. They're on the Internet. They're at various universities, including Ivy League schools. They don't get any time, or they get almost no time on these Sunday shows or on these network shows or by these newsrooms. Put them side to side. Put them up with Fauci. But they don't do it because they're not interested in following the science. They're interested in following iron-fisted liberalism. That's what they want us to follow. There is no justification for much of what these governors are doing. There's no reason to shut down to shut down a shooting range? None whatsoever. And yet they do it. There's no reason a warehouse store should be open and they can manage it, and a little store shouldn't be open. They can manage it too. And you can go down the list. 
Obviously, so much of this is political. And it always will be. It's a disgrace. Now, Trump today on Fox News, business, I should say, whether the coronavirus came from labs, bats, where did it come from? Shouldn't that question be asked of the Chinese government? Cut 19, go. But I got to get to China first because Secretary Pompeo said that he has strong evidence that it did come from the virology lab. We've been reporting this every Sunday, by the way, um, from early on. With all due respect, you're not the only one. A lot of us have been focused on this. We had Tom Cotton on, on my show early, early on. But then, nonetheless, go ahead. Also said that uh, you saw evidence. Can you tell us anything about no, the intelligence? No, but we have a lot of information. And it's not good. But you know, the worst of all, whether it came from the lab or came from the bats or came, it all came from China and they should have stopped it. They could have stopped it at that source. I call it the source right there. They made a decision to allow it to escape its borders. I don't know if they made the decision, but it got out of control. I think more likely it got out of control. Senator Khan said that they didn't want the Chinese economy to contract 20% and the rest of the world to contract 2%. So we were beating them very badly before this we were beating them between the tariffs and other things we were doing and we were going up and they were having a very bad year they were having the worst year they've had in 56 years he this had Hong Kong protesters on the street and they weren't well and, and even beyond that and we were really doing well and that is a theory but here's what I know for sure they didn't allow this whole thing they didn't allow people to go into China but they did allow them to go out to the world including the United States that's why you're is a mess. That's why look at look at these countries. Russia's having a hard time. Yeah, and I think that it probably did get loose and China figured, all right, exactly as Tom Cotton said. You know, our economy is already in the tank as a result of what Donald Trump has done to us. So here we know that this contagion does pass person to person. So we're going to send out hundreds of thousands of our Chinese citizens as if nothing's happened. We'll let them continue to go all over Europe, go to the United States, go wherever they go, and spread it. Why wouldn't they? It's the best of all worlds for that disgusting genocidal regime. It's the best of all worlds. I mean, they figure if our economy is going to suffer, let the rest of the world suffer. Who benefits from this right now? The Chinese government. The Chinese government, if, if they had a weapon that could unleash what they've unleashed on us and not, and not be found to have unleashed that weapon on us, they would do it. They love it. So the Chinese regime figures, look, we've got the whole world in a mess, in an absolute mess. And then they blame it on our military. They blame it on us. Then they say, look, America doesn't even know how to handle this sort of thing. Then we have our own media working against us and working for the Chinese regime. Said, don't call it China. Don't call it China. No, we want the whole world and we want our people to know where it came from. Don't call it China. It's Corona-19 or COVID-19. Oh, COVID-19. Oh, okay. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
don't forget, 9.25, I'm told, precisely 9.25 p.m. tonight, Eastern Time, 6.25 Pacific. I will be on Hannity on the Fox News Channel. If you can't watch it live, by all means, DVR it. I got a friendly call today from Senator Lindsey Graham. He wanted to come on the program to talk about Judge Emmett Sullivan. I said, okay, let's do it. So he'll be on. Uh, What time has he come on, Mr. Top of the next hour? Top of the next hour. Our friends at Chaminet have extended their amazing Mother's Day sale. I guess he didn't hear the show yesterday, did he? Just, just, Just pointing that out. Our friends at Chaminet have extended their amazing Mother's Day sale one more week for all those special people in our world. And right now, you'll get the classic Genesel for bags and puffiness and the jawline treatment at a discount never offered before. And Genesel will double your order for free. Now, this is only for a limited time. Whether you're staying home, going back to work, or simply connecting remotely with your loved ones and coworkers, now's the time to say goodbye to puffiness dark spots, crow's feet, even firm up the delicate skin around the jawline and neck areas. Your next Zoom or FaceTime will feel better, guaranteed. You'll get compliments or simply get 100% of your money back. Order Genesel Extended Mother's Day Special now and get double your order free. Go to Genesel.com or call us at 800-SKIN-604. And for results in just minutes, the Genesel Immediate Effects is also free. Plus free shipping. Limited time only. Get double your order free now. Genesel.com, Genesel.com, or give us a call at the special number, 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. Let's slip in a call. Danny, Cincinnati, Ohio, XM Satellite. Go, Danny. Yes. Go right ahead, sir. I am calling you. I am a truck driver. I ride over the road. Yeah, And I noticed that uh, a lot of these truck stops that I go to and stuff, you know, I've been out here ever since this coronavirus thing started. And I swear, they're overplaying this thing so bad because I believe they're attacking the American people more than they are the president right now. Mm-hmm. This This is just totally way beyond the scope of things. I mean, this is really hurting the American people. I mean, people Can't, are going into debt over this. Danny, have you noticed any of the people, whether they're government scientists, whether they are media types who, who endorse all of this, have you noticed any of them losing weight or missing a meal or looking, uh, or looking concerned about their own family and their own life? Have you seen any of that, Danny? I haven't seen any of that. No. No, because they've got the money sitting in the bank. They're hurting the little Americans, the people that are out here day-to-day working for a living. I've been out here, Mark, for every day since this has started, trucking God stuff bless back you. and forth, keeping, keeping the American people fed and, and doing the best I can. I'm 51 years old, Mark. I've got mm-hmm. asthma. But you know mm-hmm. what? There comes a time that people have to step up and, and do the right thing and stop they're using us as pawns out here. This is mm-hmm. ridiculous. You know, early on I pointed out, let me t- ask you what you think of this, Danny. You know, when they have these these fake government shutdowns where 17% of the people who work for the government actually are required not to show up for work, and they all get their money back, usually in a few days, at worst, in two or three weeks. All the stories about the pain and suffering 
of the bureaucrats, all the stories, the pain and suffering, and the parks are closed, and this. Tell me, sir, are you seeing a lot of stories about the pain and suffering that's going on in strip malls and little businesses and restaurants? See very little, don't you? Yes. This this is happening everywhere. People are hurting terribly, Mark. Over 36 million of our fellow Americans have filed for unemployment in the last eight weeks. That is 50 that's 15% of the population and a much larger percentage of those who are of working age. It is shocking that even any governor would still be talking about keeping their economy shut. Thank you for all you've been doing, Danny, and God bless you, my friend. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again made contact with our leader Mark Levin Hello America, Mark Levin here our number 877 877-381-3811 877-381-3811 boy we have a lot to discuss with our guest Senator Lindsey Graham how are you Hey, Mark. Good. It's good. It's good to have you back every four or five years, no matter what. Yeah, come hell or high water. <laughs> I set my watch. So. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> I'm okay. Now, there's, there's a lot going on here, and a lot of it's yeah. very ugly, Senator. It's and, very uh, ugly. Let, let's start with Judge... Let's go through it. Let's start with Judge Emmett Sullivan and his extraordinary actions. What do you make of this? I've never seen anything like it. I've been a judge in the military. I've been a prosecutor, a defense attorney. I know you've lived your life in the law. I've never seen a circumstance in America where you would punish a defendant for withdrawing their guilty plea after they find exculpatory evidence previously undisclosed. So General Flynn changed his plea based on advice of new counsel. The government turned over exculpatory information under Brady. The government decided to dismiss the case. And Judge Sullivan is suggesting that he will hold Judge uh, General Flynn in contempt for having pled guilty and changing his plea. That would be the worst possible outcome. That means you can never withdraw your plea in America without being punished, even if the government screwed you over. I hope you will not go down that road. To every criminal defense lawyer in America, you need to be in uh, General Flynn's camp. To every fair-minded prosecutor, you should be behind Barr, Bill Barr. You know, uh, Senator Graham, the other thing is to solicit amicus curiae briefs uh, from anybody on the street, pretty much. But really, to focus on one former federal judge whose op-ed he liked in the Washington Post, because that op-ed, which he wrote with two others, basically said, hey, you know, Judge Sullivan, you don't have to put up with this. you got many tools to, uh, you, you, you can use uh, to reject what the executive branch is telling you. It, doesn't this violate separation of powers and every notion of what a judge is supposed to do? Well, I think it violates basic uh, fairness in the sense that 
You don't want to reward the government for withholding information in a criminal trial that's outcome determinative to the defense. Bill Barr, to his credit, found information in the file, uh, General Flynn's file, that should have been disclosed early on. It changed the nature of, of, of the charge. It was exculpatory in nature. And General Flynn, like every other American, has a right to benefit from exculpatory evidence. But the idea you would punish a criminal defendant for withdrawing a plea after the government moves to dismiss the case is earth-shatteringly dangerous. The government, Judge Sullivan, is asking to dismiss their own case because they found things in their file previously undisclosed, and here you are going to continue the case and actually punish the defendant. That is bone-cold chilling. So why is he doing this? I don't know, and the, the question for the country would be, if he did it, is that okay? There's young kids charged with everything under the sun in inner cities in this country, and every now and then you find something in the file the cops did wrong. Would you want that kid not to be able to withdraw his plea? Would you want the judge to hold him in contempt because he pled guilty, but now he's changed his mind because he's found something new that changes the nature of the case? I can't explain what motivates the judge to do this very bizarre thing, but I can promise you it will have a chilling effect on the criminal justice system. Well, Senator Graham, last week, in a 9-0 opinion written by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the U.S. Supreme Court. Last week. Last week, week. the court said, essentially... Don't use this amicus curiae stuff uh, in lieu of the parties who are setting the framework for the litigate. You're the judge. Now, this is last week. And this ju- and who, who, yeah. who authored that opinion? Ginsburg. Yeah, okay. So let's, let's talk to your audience a little bit about this. Nine to nothing, the Supreme Court said that a lower court exercised an amicus right beyond the role of being judges that they went outside the boundary of the lawsuit, outside the arguments of counsel, and they weren't soliciting opinions about how to make a good decision. They were soliciting opinions about how to come up with a new idea outside the pleadings. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what's going on here. He's asking, they're, he specifically asking. asked this Gleason, a former Clinton-appointed judge, to do exactly that. Well, the guy wrote an op-ed piece, Gleason, about how you're not – here's what Gleason opined, that uh, Judge Flynn pled guilty. A lot of people plead guilty because risk-reward. They're broke. They're threatening to put his son in jail. There are a lot of people in jail today that found themselves in a bad spot and chose the lesser choice and pled guilty. Okay, so here's what uh, the the, the judge – Uh, The Gleason guy said, uh, Judge Sullivan, you can hold him in contempt because when he pled guilty, uh, he admitted to his crime. Now he's withdrawing that guilty plea. Therefore, he lied to the court. Mm -hmm. That means in the future you can never withdraw a guilty plea without going to jail. You can never withdraw a guilty plea in the future even if there's misconduct on the part of the government. And that's what's key here is that there was information not disclosed originally in General Flynn's trial that came out later, and his new lawyer said, I want to withdraw the plea because there is no crime here. And if the judge is going to get involved in this case, shouldn't he look at the new facts, as you're pointing out? I mean, you don't look at a a photo of what took place months ago and 
and in your courtroom, all this other stuff's taking place, and you pretend it's not? Boy, you're so right. I mean, we got to do this show more than every five years. Sidney Powell, <laughs> Powell made another request for Brady material. And for your audience, there's a Supreme Court case that requires the prosecutor to give the defense and the court its sculptory evidence. Well, the question is, how did this information from the agent saying, should, what is our goal to get him to lie, to get him fired? Clearly, they were trying to set the guy up. That agent's notes changed everything. And why it said in the file all those years, I'll never know, but congratulations to Bill Barr and his team for giving the court its sculptory information never provided before. And the judge, in my view, is really sending a chilling message if he goes ahead and tries to convict General Flynn for showing contempt for the court when he now knows that information was withheld from the defense. You don't want to reward the government and punish the defendant when the government withholds information. All right, let me, let me bring up another issue before we lose it. Okay. This uh, what, what has taken place in the Obama administration with all the spying and the phony Russia collusion and in, the, and in the Flynn case as chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee? What are you going to do about it? Haven't you announced a series of hearings? What, what, yeah. Let me just put it that way. What are you going to do yeah. about it? There are three lines. Okay, <clears throat> I'm oversight. My job is to figure out what happened politically. I'm a politician. Provide congressional oversight to the Department of Justice and the FBI. And here's the questions. Did they unmask General Flynn for political reasons, not national security reasons, right? Uh, was his prosecution vindictive in nature rather than merit-based? Uh, the FISA abuse of Carter Page. I want to build on what Horowitz did. I want to ask the questions, how did it get so off the rails? How could Comey and McCabe not know that the Russian subsource disavowed the dossier? And without the dossier, you could not get a warrant. So I want to know why the information about the subsource disavowing the document that was crucial warrant, how far did it go up the chain? And finally, I want to provide oversight on the central question, should Bob Mueller ever been appointed to begin with? In August 2017, was there a scintilla of evidence to suggest that anybody on the Trump campaign colluded with the Russians? And otherwise, in other words, was the Mueller appointment legitimate from day one? Now, it sounds to me you know a lot of these answers in advance. Now, for, ex- for example... Well, I'm fair-minded. You're fair-minded. But f- <laughs> we're going to get there together. Well, you know I'm not. So anyway, so, so, so here's the thing. So here you have Adam Schiff and all these transcripts released. And we know that every single senior official in the Obama administration that testified under oath, not one of them had a scintilla of evidence of any collusion. Well, and they said, no, I don't, but they're going out on TV. He's guilty as hell. But you brought up a point most people didn't catch, but you brought it up early on. Samantha Powers is attributed to have made it almost two to 300 unmasking requests. When Trey Gowdy showed her the chart from the NSA, she said, I didn't make a fraction of that. I didn't do 10% of that. So here's the question. Who the hell was making unmasking yeah. requests in the name of Samantha Powers? Are we ever, I mean, honestly, I think the reason they attack the attorney general and these other people is because they're really trying to get answers to all these questions, aren't they? Well, uh, the, the reason they wanted Flynn not to be in the administration is he knew where the bodies were buried. See, the reason Obama hated Flynn, he told the nation, yes, bin Laden's dead, but we're still not safe because 
al-Qaeda is alive and well. From that day forward, they hated Flynn because he rained on their parade. And I am certain that the people in the Obama administration did not want General Flynn to serve in the government. I am certain that the investigators in the Carter Page uh, uh, FISA applications uh, intentionally misled the court because they did not want the Russia investigation to end. And I am going to try to prove that, not from a sense of revenge, but to make sure this crap never happens again to anybody. Do you think... Obama had to know a lot of this, right? It was in the well, newspapers, the, the, the for God's sake. Right. Exactly. The first, que- the first two witnesses I want to call, I want to call the DOJ lawyer to say, why did you choose not to prosecute General Flynn? I think he's got a damn good reason. Tell us. Then the next two witnesses are Sally Yates and Clapper, because I called them three years ago. And there's a clip with myself and those two witnesses asking about did they have any knowledge of who unmasked General Flynn, because he was not only unmasked, but they leaked to the Washington Post the fact that he was talking to the Russian ambassador. That is a crime. Now we know the list of people who requested unmasking of Flynn. you got a fairly narrow group of people that could be their perpetrator here. So I want to call Yates and Clapper back. I want Yates to go through the meeting with Obama on January the 5th and explain to the country why she was surprised that the president knew more about the Flynn case than she did. When do you anticipate starting this, these January hearings? January the 3rd is the target date to start with the Flynn case. I'm talking to witnesses. Some of them I may have to subpoena. I don't think this is, you know, Clapper and Yates came voluntarily three years ago. We'll see what happens. But I'm going to start in January, and I'm going to work my way. What, what if we lose the Senate? I mean, You're not June, the chairman June. anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm June, June. We'll be done by October. All right, June 1st. Uh, say the first week in June, yeah, okay. we start with the Flynn case, then we go okay. to Carter Page, FISA abuse, and we wind up uh, calling in McCabe and Comey and all, all that crowd in the September time frame. And I want to ask McCabe and Comey, how is it possible that the Russian subsource disavowed uh, the dossier and you didn't know about it in the most important case maybe in the history of the FBI? Got lots of questions going to start in June. I'm going to have a report issued by October, so we'll have this thing ready to be looked at before the election. Well, I want to salute you on that. That's a very aggressive schedule and very, very important what you're doing. Now, the president tweeted out, he said, okay, Lindsay, you need to call Barack (laughs) Obama as a witness. What do you say to that? Well, I said, Mr. President, I understand you're frustrated. Just chill out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but what about what I do you say to the American people? Say you, nobody's ever asked yeah. this guy a question, Obama. Well, shouldn't at least the so, prosecutors be asking him? Sure. Well, see, that's the point. Congressional oversight is a political process. Not one American's above the law, including the president, right? So if if Barack Obama did something wrong in terms of unmasking or was part of a criminal conspiracy. He is subject to the law as much as you or I. Well, what I'm doing is a political process. You know, President Trump got inundated with requests by the the House to give everything around the Trump presidency, and they used executive privilege. So what I want to do is focus on the main actors here that got us in a ditch. But no, President Obama is not above the law, but that inquiry would come from the criminal justice system. Well, I wish somebody would ask him something under oath, because I'll tell you what. You got the FBI, the CIA, the director of national intel, and this is all we know so far. You see, the, the 
the obsessive right. interests of the Treasury Department in unmasking, the State Department. You've got, um, uh, you've got his own chief of staff, Obama's, seeking unmasking, the vice president of the United States. And the only one who's not asking anything is Obama. He ducks. Well, the media doesn't care. The prosecutors right. you're, don't you're, ask him. You're, you're, well, let's just play this out. So we know in 2018, Strzok and Page emailed each other that the White House is very interested in this, right? We know that Yates talked to the president, Obama, on January the 5th, and he seemed to know more about the uh, counterintelligence investigation against General Flynn than she did. So we're going to lay the foundation for all that. And if I find anything that speaks of criminality, we'll send it over to the Justice Department and let them take a look at it. But, you know, you're a lawyer for President Reagan. (laughs) Executive privilege is real. You don't want one branch of the government tearing the other branch of the government apart, but criminal law is different. All right, Lindsey Graham, we look forward to these hearings, and you can come back and fill us in if you would. I am, and I'm going to do it before the next five years. But now, really, I really want to talk to you as we do this, because this is probably the most important um, oversight hearing in many moons, simply because I don't want to lose the intelligence apparatus that keep us safe. I don't want to let these guys destroy the ability to protect the country because they may have abused the power. The only way we're going to keep this power in the hands of the government is hold people accountable. If people don't go to jail and people are not fired, the American people are not going to trust us to have these tools. All right, sir. Heartbreak. I want to thank you and come back soon. God bless. We'll be right back. Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. We'll be watching with great interest uh, Lindsey Graham's hearings, which are really uh, three in a row, three subjects. If he's able to pull this off and get these different witnesses, um, I think that'll actually be quite helpful, assuming the other Republicans on the committee as well are serious about getting to the bottom of these things. And I think they are on judiciary. Isn't Mike Lee on judiciary? I think he is. And a a few other standouts are on judiciary, too. So let's let's see how this happens. Uh, He's outlined the senator, his agenda for his Senate hearing starting in the first week of June. The Russia probe, how that got started. Uh, How uh, Mueller got appointed in the Flynn case. I'll be right back.
AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Well, it's a pleasure to have one of our favorite doctors on the show, Dr. Mark Siegel. How are you, sir? Hey, Mark. Great to be on with you. How are you it doing? Is, it is my pleasure. I want to thank you for the great public service you're doing, and it is a great public service. You know, what I've noticed about you is you're not an ideologue. You're not doctrinaire about science, and that's very important. As new data comes in, you might adjust your thinking and so forth and so on. I don't see that with a lot of these so-called government public scientists, I just might add. Let me ask you a question, Dr. Siegel. Yes. Why do you see such a difference in the impact of this virus in one area over another? I mean, I understand the basics if you have a dense population. I understand the basics if you have a tourist area. But there's a lot of tourism in Florida. There's a lot of major metropolitan areas in Florida, very dense areas, maybe not to the extent of New York, but still. Isn't at least part of it not an issue of science but political decisions and equations? Yeah, it has to do with what the rhetoric is and what you're focusing on. Like if you're a governor of New York and you're pounding the pavement for respirators, you're going to end up with a lot more respirators than you need ventilators, and then you're going to end up giving them to other states. Or if you're that same governor, Mark, ignoring nursing homes and saying, can you believe that it was still on the books in New York till we pointed this out, that if you're a, a COVID-19 positive patient, you go back to a nursing home? It's like kindling to a fire because... You know, these, are, these poor elderly people in the nursing homes uh, have pre-existing conditions. They have obesity. They're set up for, for, for catching the, the virus. And five, over 5,000 deaths in the nursing homes in New York, which is three times greater than the amount of deaths in nursing homes in Florida. And I talked to a nursing home down there. Guess what they do? They have personal protective equipment, all the staff. They're constantly getting checked all the time to see if they have COVID-19. The patients are being checked. They're being isolated if they're sick. Families are being called. And then they're being sent to hospitals right away with infectious disease. In other words, they're being treated like human beings. By, and Governor DeSantis early on in Florida set a policy they called, he, right, by, like human beings, like human beings. I mean, DeSantis has even put out, because I went through it here, an entire uh, white paper on how you're to treat senior citizens, long-term care facilities, all the responsibilities and so forth and so on. And yet on March, as you point out, on March 25th, I think it was, uh, Zucker, who reports to, uh, to uh, Cuomo, his, his health czar, he puts out a paper demanding that nursing homes not only take from hospitals coronavirus-positive patients, but they can't test for them. No questions asked. You take them or else. 
and and that that policy was actually followed, and that's why so many deaths occurred. It's a huge tragedy that occurs. You know, the the government, the governor has his rhetoric down. He pounds the gavel really. He pounds the uh, the podium really well. But people died on this, and also identifying areas of New York where they were at the greatest risk, and our hospitals being completely overwhelmed and not getting the funding we needed and this and the protective equipment we needed. I mean, this is the difference between one politician and another. And it matters. It, it, co- it can cost people their lives. Let me ask you this. I, I'm not asking you on a personal basis, but Dr. Fauci's been kind of all over the map, and so have some of these other public officials. That's okay. But the president has to rely on these people. That's where he's getting his scientific information from. The, the governors rely on these people, too, who are not ideologically committed to shutting down the economy. I look all over the country, Dr. Mark Siegel. I see the data demonstrates the elderly, the frail, people with comorbidities, they're in trouble. So why do we continue in so many of these states to shut down everybody else? They know how to mitigate. Well, Mark, first of all, this lockdown stuff where you shut down entire states not only strangles the economy, not only does it lead to to death from despair and drug abuse and alcoholism and people being afraid, by the way, to go to the emergency rooms when they're really sick because they're they're so frightened of this virus. Not not only that, but it but it also uh, is not necessary. We we know from history that lockdowns are only helpful early in the game before the virus permeates the whole community. Well, the Centers for Disease Control was very late to the game, telling us about the virus already being in communities. They were late. The CDC underplayed this. Dr. Fauci, you were talking about, who I have a very big admiration for, what he's done is he hasn't listened to the president. He's been disrespectful of the president on several occasions. That's not what he's there for. He's there to advise the president. And he's sticking rigidly to this idea of severity and draconian severity at a time when we're seeing a decrease in the virus in the United States, and we should be celebrating that. Yeah, and we have a guy today who testified. Never heard of this guy before. He runs what is a very, very small organization within HHS. Uh, he promoted uh, the, what, how do you pronounce it? Oxy, uh, oxy whatever it is, the, the, uh, the medicine. Hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine. I'm sorry, I lost my mind there. Yeah. For, he, yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and, then he, and then he says he was moved into another position because he didn't promote it. I mean, what's that all about? That seems disingenuous to me. I saw him wearing a mask there. He's, we call, he's a so-called whistleblower. He's not even a physician. And, and some of the things he is saying are very disturbing. He also was trying to claim that, that the claims about the vaccine are erroneous. Let me tell you something. The president of the United States put together a team of the Department of Defense and HHS that's never been done before to speed along this vaccine and to get five or six or even 10 candidates competing with each other. Mm-hmm. Competition works, Mark, as you know. And they're going to they're gonna nudge these vaccines along to the finish line, give a ton of money behind it, and be willing to waste money in order to get the vaccine that works. That's tremendous. And then the DOD is involved in order to make sure that the vaccines get out there. Nothing wrong with that. And by the way, the, the same point you made about hydroxychloroquine is now being studied by the NIH in people who aren't that sick. I, I feel that, 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 that Mr. Bright, I call him Mr. Bright because he's not a physician, is, is really completely out of line here. That's my take. Now, uh, and by the way, if I were ill with this, I and my doctor would agree to it, I would take it. 
Because there's really nothing else out there as far as I can see. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, I mean, that can happen with many drugs that are out there. This drug's been around for over half a century, for God's sakes. At least that's that's my view. That's where we start with that drug, which is that we're giving it to millions of people for malaria prophylaxis and for lupus, and and we know when to give it. Doctors know when it's safe to give it, and we don't have anything else, and there's a lot of signs that it may work early in the process. I agree with it. It's a doctor's decision. We've been giving FDA drugs off-label for decades, ever since Mm -hmm. I first been in practice I'm doing that. I've been looking not just at the usual sites but elsewhere to find statistics on the last 60 to 90 days in the other areas where people are, uh, where fatalities occur in this country. That is heart disease and heart attacks and strokes, Alzheimer's, suicides. I can't find them. I'm just saying, when you're telling people uh, not to have surgeries and stay away and stay at home, and so we know it has consequences, how come the health experts in Washington, D.C. are not monitoring this? Honestly, I can't find it. It's because a virologist and a very, very, very good virologist named Dr. Fauci is overseeing a lot of things that are usually left to the Centers for Disease Control. We know that we're 2.5 million doses less from the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine than we usually see at this time of the year. We know that four out of five people surveyed say they're afraid to go to an emergency room. We know the same is true for strokes. We're having, I had a 90-year-old, Mark, last week. I begged him, you, I know you're having a, an acute gallbladder attack. You have to have your gallbladder out. He wouldn't go. I finally, finally talked him into it. We're pushing to get elective surgeries and necessary procedures back on track, but people are too afraid of COVID-19, and that fear has been fanned by many of our politicians. And we don't know how many hospitals we've lost, how many hospital beds we've lost. Doctors and nurses, I hear these small practices going under as a result of the economy. So, I mean, there's all kinds of health issues taking place in reaction to what's, what, what's happening with this virus, and in spite of this virus that's taking place. And we don't, I, I don't have any eyes into this. I can't tell what's taking place. It's a huge problem. Hospitals are going under elective surgeries. That's where they make their money in procedures and MRIs. But the term deaths of despair is a real term. There's a study out about that, that every, that every single percentage point increase in unemployment leads to over 20,000 deaths from despair, despair meaning suicide from alcohol and drug abuse. We're going to see more people, Mark, die of this results impact, collateral damage from this virus than the virus itself. That's where we're heading. Well, if that number holds up, we have millions of people now unemployed in the last eight weeks, 36 million applying for unemployment. I have to tell you, doctor, when I hear it's not just Fauci, that this is inconvenient, but we have then governors like Inslee. It's not a matter of inconvenience. This is like a five alarm fire. I mean, you can't have over 10 percent of the population and God knows the percentage of the working population who can't work. And lose their homes and lose everything. Not to mention the schools. It's so disturbing to hear this hint about the schools. I immediately pounced on that because our schools have to be open. That's where we, where we train our future leaders. The entire country is built on its education system. And they, it's, I can't even understand why they closed the schools to begin with. I so agree. Young people can go and bring asymptomatic cases to grandma. I mean, yeah. there, there was no rationale for that. No. And uh, Fauci, he's Tesla. Is he an independent actor? 
I mean, he's up there on Capitol Hill and he's saying, yeah, I re- excuse me, he's not on Capitol, but the Capitol Hill testimony. He doesn't think the school should open. He doesn't think that. But uh, but he says, I'm just a scientist. I don't make decisions about schools and the economy. You're commenting constantly on that. Is he not? He's outside his lane in all of those areas. I think in a way it's a testament to the president that he never gets credit for, that he likes voices in there that speak differently, and he can size it up and put it together. But he, he, Dr. Fauci is a really brilliant man who needs to stay in his lane and understand that he reports to the president. He's there at the pleasure of the president. He's there to inform the president. He's not there to make public policy statements. And I actually have been wondering, you have these young kids who should be in elementary school and so forth, or middle school, 20 years from now, what is the social impact of them missing half a year of school, just you know, learning how to socialize and get along with other kids? I'm hearing that from my own kids. It's like a piece of their life has been taken away. There's only so much you can do on a computer, maybe one-third. All of that socialization, which is what college is about, which is what high school is about, it's a real tragedy. It's not on the table. I don't feel that schools are on the table. We have to fight that. And furthermore, there's no public health reason for it. It's not, there's no evidence that you're going to end up spreading more virus or getting more people sick by having the schools open. Dr. Mark Siegel, you, you are the best, and I really appreciate it. You, you take complex subjects, you make it easy to understand, and uh, we look forward to having you back, sir. My pleasure. A great honor to be on, Mark. Thank you for having me. All right, and God bless. Now, I want to tell you about uh, honey. Not my honey, although I'm happy to tell you about her. You know, we all shop online a lot, but did you know you can make online shopping even better? You can with honey. Now, Honey is the free online shopping tool that automatically finds, automatically finds the best promo codes and applies them to your cart. Just download Honey to your computer and shop on your favorite websites like normal. Wait a few seconds for Honey to scan its database of all the working coupons on the web. Then watch your price drop. Honey works on nearly every online store, including Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Macy's, Etsy, and a lot more. Not using Honey is literally passing up free money. It's 100% free to use and installs in just a few seconds. Plus, it's backed by PayPal, so you know it's secure and reliable. And I bet you're doing a lot of ordering of things online right now. Of course, we are. Use Honey. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Levin. Joinhoney.com slash L-E-V-I-N. Joinhoney.com slash Levin. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. 
All right, don't forget I'll be on Hannity in about a half hour, 9.25 p.m. Eastern Time, 6.25 p.m. Pacific Time. It works that way, you know. I hope you'll be there live. If not, you can always DVR us. Do you know what we do at Levin TV on the Blaze TV Network? Oh, man, we have a good time, and we work hard, and we, we tackle all kinds of big issues. And we give you intelligent content you won't see anywhere else. We've done a deep dive on the Constitution, on federalism, on capitalism, on the debt, on the virus, the Flynn case, the unconstitutional surveillance and spying, and on and on and on. History and current actions have shown us that the so-called progressives will use any crisis to further their big government agenda. Small businesses continue to be hurt with the left, which holds them hostage in many of these states in order to gain more power over each and every one of them. There's nothing more important in these times than the facts, and that's exactly what you get on Levin TV. Smart people like you deserve smart programming. But remember, we can only continue to produce this type of programming if you continue to participate. We're offering $30 off a one-year subscription. It's normally $99, but we're offering it at $69, given what's going on in the country today. If you can't participate, we understand. But if you've been thinking about it or thinking about giving it as a gift or to a friend, now's the time to act because this ends tomorrow. It tomorrow. What you do is you go to levintv.com, L-E-V-I-N-TV.com, enter promo code LEVIN, again, L-E-V-I-N, and you'll get the special discount, which ends tomorrow. And that's just a little over $5 a month, and you're going to see amazing shows. Of course, Levin TV, you're going to see my buddy Beck, you're going to see my buddy Crowder, my buddy Phil Robinson, Andrew Wilkow, all my buddies. You're going to see them all, and they do great shows and many more than I just named. So that's levintv.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N-T-V.com, promo code Levin. I want to read something to you. Maybe I'll do this on Hannity tonight. This is your Fourth Amendment. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. And no warrant shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. There was no probable cause to spy on the Trump campaign. There was no probable cause to spy on, through the back door, on Michael Flynn. There was no reason to issue a counterintelligence warrant, unrelated to this standard, but nonetheless, against Carter Page. There was no Russia collusion whatsoever. The Constitution was violated. You have a man in Emmett Sullivan. Let me tell you something. Maybe I'll get into this too on the show. What are judges and justices? They're just other citizens. Flesh and blood. Some of them are brilliant. Some of them are stupid as hell. Some of them are unethical. Some of them have been accused of crimes. I wrote an entire book on it, Men in Black, the introductory chapter, to make the point. Some of them are bigots. And this is the nature of the judiciary because it's the nature of society. And some of them are more honorable than others, and some of them are more serious in the application of the law than others. They are men and women, imperfect, 
of flesh and blood. And so when we call somebody like Emmett Sullivan your honor, as they demand in these courtrooms, just understand something. He is treated with respect if he shows the law respect. There's no reason to follow a federal judge who doesn't follow the Constitution. Why should we follow him or her when they don't follow it? The Constitution precedes them. These judges were created by statute. They weren't created by the Constitution. The Fourth Amendment's in the Constitution. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, all you folks helping us, doctors, nurses, truckers, people in the grocery store, all of you. Thank you for everything. Our, your nation is very, very grateful. See you in 30 minutes on Fox. Take care. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.